everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now Podcast channel. Our conversation today will dive into what the future might have in store for infrastructure here in America, a near-term focuses of Congress, and more. So joining me here on the line for the conversation this week, as always, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So, Shane, great to be with you as always. Thank you for joining us on the eve of Easter weekend and looking forward to digging into some of these topics with you. Thanks, Dan. Always good to be with you. And uh, yeah, with Easter and uh, baseball here, it feels like it's truly spring now. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to see some Yankee baseball on today. So all good things. So uh, a few topics I wanted to uh, catch up with you on. I know a couple of weeks back on the podcast, we did spend some time uh, touching on the prospects for infrastructure legislation. Looking back this week, that's become more real. I know on Wednesday, yesterday, President Biden outlined some elements of his program proposal in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I'm curious, Shane, what can you share with us in terms of the notable components of that proposal and even how the president plans to fund it? Yeah, um, great question. You know, I think we've been talking about this for a while now. And this announcement yesterday is kind of more of a kickoff event. Um, to uh, announce his infrastructure plan, uh, paired with some tax increases to help pay for it. And um, this will set off uh, probably weeks, if not months, of discussion and debate um, before it's enacted. So it, this plan should be viewed as kind of a starting point, not the uh, final plan. But uh, we should still consider its components uh, seriously as they may be part of the final bill. I think, you know, the highlights here is that it's uh, six, uh, over $620 billion on transportation and infrastructure, um, which includes, you know, like $115 billion for repair of bridges and highways. But it also invests $100 billion uh, to revitalize uh, school buildings, over $200 billion uh, to build and preserve affordable housing. Uh, it also includes $100 billion for a broadband. You know, uh, I think the goal there is to make sure that everyone in America has uh, access to broadband, um, $100 billion to upgrade the power grid. You know, obviously with the um, recent events in Texas, that's uh, been highlighted, but this has been a long existing problem that Congress has been keeping an eye on and really wants to make sure that the power grid is um, secure. And uh, additionally, there's uh, almost uh, over $170 billion for um, electric vehicle investments. Now, uh, that's just some of the highlights, but this bill would, uh, this I should say, this plan outlines a number of uh, changes to the tax code to pay for this plan. Uh, I would note that it was very interesting to me that the taxes included in this plan all focus on uh, corporations. There's nothing on the individual side. And I think that shows how far this bill has to go before it becomes law, because Democrats do fully intend on making changes um, to the tax code that apply to individuals, not just corporations. So, you know, there's not only the need to provide more revenue to pay for some of this spending on infrastructure, um, but there is um, this uh, um, desire from Democrats to make sure in their minds that the the top 1% uh, pay their fair share. And, you know, it's very interesting that it's not in yesterday's lease. I think that's, you know, partially politics and, and to try and 
um, tamp down um, concern and pushback on this before, you know, the bill is actually even written. And that yet again shows how far uh, this bill needs to go before it's uh, passing the law. The, the bill is going to, uh, it's not even a bill yet, I should say, the plan um, has to come to fruition by a lot of negotiation and changes to the plan as written now. But, um, you know, you definitely see contours, you know, uh, taking uh, form here of what will probably be in a final plan if it ever uh, gets across the finish line. The tax element, Shane, very interesting as you explained it to us, and it sounds like a lot still needs to happen, but the program proposal as it stands today, a very robust, wide-ranging, covers a lot of key infrastructure elements that are in need of an upgrade. So I'm sure we'll have plenty of follow-up conversations on this topic, but it was interesting to hear from the president this week on this uh, widely anticipated proposal. So while infrastructure will surely be an item of focus for Congress, I know both houses of Congress they are on a two-week recess currently. So, uh, Shane, I'm curious, outside of infrastructure, what might be some other focuses of Congress upon their return in April? Yeah, this is a, a two-week kind of um, district work period, they like to call it, instead of recess. But, yeah, you know, um, it allows them and staffers to spend time with their families for Passover, Easter, uh, whatever you're celebrating. And it also gives staff a good time uh, to, you know, um, step away from the daily hustle and bustle of when uh, senators and representatives are in town and actually prepare for, you know, the next legislative session, which will be in just about two weeks. Um, in the Senate, you're, they're going to take up uh, probably a variety of U.S.-China policies, um, but these will mostly be bipartisan measures. And we think the more consequential actions, you know, like sanctions and tariffs will be will be um, taken by the Biden administration, not Congress. Um, I think you're also going to see the Senate take up um, two gun control bills that uh, the House recently passed and possibly an election reform bill that the, that the House passed as well. So there's a lot on the plate, but, you know, you're right. We have these bigger things like this infrastructure bill and tax bill kind of um, looming over as we have all these discussions. But, you know, that again, you know, because those uh, debates on infrastructure and taxes are going to take so long, we're going to see a lot of other issues um, um, be front and center in the meantime. Sounds like infrastructure will be a big point, but it's good to know as well some other points of interest that will be coming down the pike on the legislative agenda to keep an eye out for. And I'm sure we'll catch up on a few of those during future podcasts. So thank you for that preview, Shane. Another item I'd like to follow up on, that being election reform. Now, I recall we had spoken about the For the People Act, also known as H.R. 1, some weeks ago here on the podcast. Although recently there has been a lot of buzz around this new voting law that was passed in Georgia. So, Shane, what does that law consist of, and why is this law receiving so much attention right now? Yeah, uh, great question. And, you know, I think that's also, we should think about this in the context of, while the House passed um, a bill, H.R. 1, uh, for the people, um, you know, the Senate is probably not going to pass it because it is a partisan bill. It, it won't receive any uh, Republican support. So it's, it's not going to um, move forward. So what you're seeing is states act. And you're seeing, um, you know, um, very polar, you know, uh, reaction here. You know, red states that supported former President Trump in the election are taking actions like Georgia is here. And, you know, blue states 
are are trying to mirror something closer to what the House of Representatives passed. So the Georgia bill, you know, it has dozens of provisions, but I think some of the highlights are things like it takes power away from the Secretary of State um, and pushes it towards the uh, state legislature, which has been Republican controlled since 2005. And it gives them a little bit more power in the process. Um, as we may recall, you know, um, the current Georgia Secretary of State and President Trump uh, did not exactly see the eye to eye on uh, the election results. You know, um, drop boxes has been a big issue. Um, you know, the bill, it, it guarantees drop boxes in every county, but it limits the number. You know, so... Um, some some people or some counties may may have seen dozens of drop boxes, and now they may only see a few drop boxes. But I would reiterate that this does guarantee drop boxes uh, in every county, and and this is important because you know you can um, fill out your ballot and uh, just drive over to a drop box and put it in that box, and essentially you voted. Um, there'll be shortened runoffs and think of, you know, what happened with the two Senate races, um, which determined the control of the U.S. Senate. You know, the uh, regular election that we all voted in was in November and the two Senate races for Georgia both went to a runoff and that was held in January. So two months after. Uh, so this would shorten the runoff period. Um, which, you know, in theory may help the Republicans or the incumbents, whoever that may be. Uh, a lot of changes in absentee voting. You know, a big one that's gotten a lot of pushback is a, there's this food and drink restriction. Um, you know, essentially, I think this one comes down to, you know, um, makes it a misdemeanor for any person to give or offer any money or gifts, um, which includes food and, and drinks to any voter um, within a polling place. So, you know, someone you know, who maybe they're wearing a, uh, a campaign sticker, can't come up and offer you a sandwich or a drink. And, you know, this has garnered a lot of attention saying, you know, you can't even give someone a, a cup of water. Um, but I would say I think there actually is, you know, um, uh, a kind of an allowance for someone to to, to, to get water at a polling station. Uh, station. And there are other provisions, but this has got, gotten... Um, Democrats and their supporters fired up and they're pushing back. They're uh, starting to get big uh, Georgia companies like uh, Delta and Coca-Cola on their side and pushing back. Um, so this isn't the last you've heard of this law. I think it's going to actually not just play out in the weeks and months to come, but in future elections in Georgia. So, you know, uh, we will probably be talking about this for years to come. Very interesting, but appreciate the color, Shane, on what exactly has been going on, how this all came to be. Clearly, uh, the reception on a local level in Georgia, as well as on a national level, has been very mixed. So was curious to get your take on this, but uh, something as well that we can follow up on. And we'll be curious to see how HR1, how that ends up in the Senate. So a lot to keep an eye out on there. Uh, maybe one final topic we can hit on for this week, Shane. I know, again, Wednesday, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen uh, presided over a meeting of the Financial Stability Oversight Committee, also known as FSOC. Shane, can you provide some context and speak to what the agenda yesterday consisted of? Yeah. The Financial Stability Oversight Council, or F- FSOC, um, 
was created in the uh, wake of the financial crisis over a decade ago. So this was a creation of the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform Act. And, you know, the FSOC, it, it really is um, it's to identify and mitigate threats to the stability of the financial system, particularly those that um, are not uh, relevant to traditional banking. Um, so Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, um, you know, chairs the FSOC, and they held their first uh, meeting uh, since uh, President Biden has come into office. And, you know, they got to work. Um, you know, Janet Yellen has expressed uh, an interest in looking at hedge funds. Um, and you can imagine that would be a priority right now, given what's going on with GameStop and other things in the hedge fund universe. So I think that will be of great interest to FSOC. Uh, additionally, I think uh, they talked about climate and climate change, and I think that will be an issue going forward for them about you know climate change and the risk that runs to um, our economy at large and also you know some of the, the financial system. So um, definitely worth watching what the FSOC does in the coming years here because. Uh, I think hedge funds, as I mentioned, and climate will be a focus for them. A lot of implications there. And Shane, thank you for highlighting some takeaways from what we witnessed this week. Shane, as always, great catching up with you. Appreciate your time, insights on a wide range of topics, many of which we'll follow up on on future podcasts. But thank you again for joining us this week. I wish you a restful weekend and look forward to picking back up the conversation again with you next week. Always good to be with you, Dan. And uh, I'll just finish by saying let's go absolutely here's the baseball much more to come thanks again shane appreciate it and again today we've been joined by shane lieberman federal affairs manager with the ubs u.s office of public policy in washington dc so as a reminder to our clients and listeners please be sure to reference the latest edition of the washington weekly publication which can be located on ubs.com forward slash washington weekly for clients of ubs you can also contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the Washington Weekly publication directly. The Washington Weekly podcast is part of the UBS In The Now podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.